1: Bible reading is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 25. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion. A chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing wrong and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their their insults at him, he did not retaliate, When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.
0: Fantastic. Good morning, church. Great to see everyone here this morning. How are we all? Excellent. Uh, I've been given the challenge and the task to preach this morning, and um, by God's grace, uh, we will all be helped today. I uh, recently went for a, um, a promotion and a, had a job interview in relation to my organisation. And one of the questions that was uh, proposed to me as part of that interview process was uh, being able to see a particular um, happening within our community in in this particular instance in the community of Casey and identify an issue, a problem, and what would I do to bring change, to rectify the problem that is at hand. And so the topic that I chose to uh, talk about was youth crime and youth offending. These aggravated burglaries that have been happening in our community and these break-ins. And what came to my mind was the words of um, Abraham Lincoln. I think he started it when he said this. He said, it's easier to raise a happy child than it is to fix a broken man. And the shortest solution or answer that I could have given in this interview uh, in the organisation would have been simply this. The answer is not 500 more policemen. The answer is 500 more churches. Now, I guarantee if I had said that, I wouldn't have got the job. Uh, <laughs> that wouldn't have been beneficial for my own uh, you know, employment uh, opportunities and status. Um, but I said it, sort of kind of like that. I spoke about the Blessed Collective. I spoke about these community initiatives. And I spoke about the answer of rehabilitation with these young juvenile offenders because the real answer for our world today, brothers and sisters, church, and if you're visiting with us today, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer for the world is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is a gospel message that does not promote self. It is a message that doesn't say, how can I get higher? How can I be more powerful? But it is a message that says, God became servant of all. He reached down because of his great love for you, for me, and he came to serve. And everything we have is to make this world a better place. That was the message he came to bring. That is a powerful message. This text that we're going to look at today, and I'll move through it as quickly as I can, it's an amazing one because think about Peter. I love Peter because he was this humble fisherman. I look at Peter who, he's through the gospels, his failures are recorded for us uh, quite openly. Um, He's the guy that walked on water but then sank. He's the guy that denied the Lord three times and you think about that. He denied the Lord, and the Lord prophesied. The Lord said that when you deny me, you're going to hear the rooster crow three times. Now, I don't know about you guys, if how you wake up in the morning, what alarm system you have, but in Bible time, see the alarm system I have got no doubt would have been the, 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 the you know, the rooster's crowing early in the morning. Imagine waking up every day hearing the, you know, I'm not going to do it, uh, the rooster crow. And you're reminded of your failings every single morning. Well, the beauty of that was, no doubt for Peter, is that he would have been reminded of God's grace. The year that he wrote this book, 1 Peter, was around the year AD 63 or 64. And as I was studying and preparing uh, to preach today, I noted that in 1947 there was a school of thought that suggested that it was improbable, perhaps impossible for Peter to have written this book due to the complex uh, sentence structure, the sophistication and the vocabulary found in this letter before us. And they were somehow disqualifying a humble fisherman from writing the letter of Peter due to the intensity and the the wealth that he speaks of in this book. Well, can I tell you that Peter's credentials were questioned long before 1947. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that these men were unschooled, they were ordinary men, and they were astonished it says this, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Unschooled men, they took note they had been with Jesus. Isn't it good news that by hanging out with Jesus it can make a smart man out of anyone? (laughs) Isn't that good news? (laughs) A smart woman for that matter. Peter had listened to, he had eaten with, he had walked beside, he had traveled with the Lord Jesus Christ for years. And because he spent that time with Jesus, he began to take on the the characteristics, the spirit of Jesus. And it became noticeable in him as this uh, fisherman turned scholar. Hallelujah. The apostle Peter, it's good news that even a bricklayer like me. and preach the gospel today to wonderful people like you. In our text, we see the church. We see a dynamic church. We see the power of God and we see references to the people of God. Uh, it is pregnant with truth, the language that Peter uses to describe us Uh, Time does not allow me to cover all of it, but just a few things on my heart that I pray, encourage and help us today. Remember this was a letter. That Letters were just not written or prepared in chapter and verse as we have them today. So I refer to a couple of verses in chapter 1. He says this in chapter 1 verses 10 to 12. Speaking of this salvation, this gospel church that we have today, he says, prophets searched the scriptures, these truths, with greatest care. And he says in verse 12, even the angels longed to understand, to understand the the truth of the gospel, They looked, because think about it, as the Old Testament spoke in the book of Psalms, in the book of Isaiah, uh, right throughout the, the Old Testament, it would speak of this coming Messiah who would be despised, rejected, smitten. He would suffer, yet at the same time, it said he would rule and he would reign. So as the prophets would consider the gospel, they wondered how it would all come together in one guess what? We living today, we have an understanding of how it all comes together. It comes together in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. Church, can I I remind you that the gospel is the power of God. It's not the beginning. It is the power of God. So when it comes to the gospel in your life, in every single area of your life, in your business, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your family, in every area of the gospel Uh, of your life rather, get the gospel in there. And as the gospel gets in there, it's going to work its way out of there in the most incredible way. We'll unpack this together in a few moments. Galatians chapter 2, just further references to the gospel getting into communities, into hearts. Paul on this occasion actually confronts Peter. See, Peter... is is, is grown up as a Jewish boy and because he's Jewish, he was raised that he wouldn't spend time or he would view the Gentiles, the non-Jews, as unclean people. So in the book of Galatians, Peter is is ministering but he wouldn't share a meal with the Gentiles because in his old custom, in his own uh, uh, culture, the Gentiles were considered unclean. So Paul speaks to him in chapter 2 verses 14 to 16 and he challenges the apostle Peter and he says, Peter, you're still living with your racial, your cultural superiority. And Paul takes the gospel and says, Peter, you are saved by grace, not by works, There is no race or people that is superior than another and here is the Apostle Paul, he brings the gospel into the heart of Peter and it brings change. Hallelujah, we can all still be changed from glory to glory. In James chapter 1, verse 9 to 10, James says this, believers in humble circumstances... Or to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humility. Here, James takes the gospel and he says, the gospel in the life of every believer, depending on your social economic status, will take two positions. Because the gospel it plays out in two ways in every life. That is this, in self, no good thing dwells. We all, in and of ourselves, deserve death, but in Christ, we have been accepted, we have been adopted, and we are completely loved. And therefore, the gospel says this to the poor people. Don't let the poverty that you were born into or that you've lived in for most of your life become your identity. Let that be the rock bottom. Your identity is now in Christ. Lift your head high. You are a child of the king. Walk around in the community. Walk around in society knowing that because of Jesus, you are royalty. Hallelujah. But then he says, James, also, if you are wealthy, your whole life. People bow down to you. People give you free passes for Cokes and pancakes or whatever. Uh, people, People say, come here and come there. We'll help you do this. We'll help you do that. He said, if you're a wealthy person, let the gospel remind you of your humility, that no matter who you are, no matter what esteem the world gives to you, remember that without Jesus, you are dust. That without Jesus, you are nothing. That's what the gospel does going into the heart of a wealthy person. That they would use their wealth, not like anyone else, to build themselves up. But they would see their wealth as a way to serve, to help, to make a difference. The gospel getting in there. Bringing change. I could go on and on, just a couple more. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul challenging the church to give, he says to them, I don't want to command you to give, but I want to simply give you the gospel. He says, Jesus, who who was rich, became poor, that through your poverty you might become rich. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Uh, We see the Apostle Paul speaking to marriages, couples that are having difficulty in marriage. What does he do with this situation, trying to teach husbands to love their wives, for wives to love their husbands? What does he do? He simply gives them the gospel. He says, Jesus is the ultimate spouse who gave himself for the other. Be like that married person. What if, our, what if the way we would do marriage is that every day we would live our life, what can I do to help our spouse? If our intimacy was about not what can I get, not what makes me feel good, but what can I do to serve my spouse? It's the gospel. It's powerful. I've got no doubt in this church, us, the powerful change in all of our lives from the past, from whatever we've come from, whatever background we've had. The power and the transformation in every life in this place is the gospel. It is the lights going on, as it were, in your heart about how you should responsibly respond to a loving saviour. If that hasn't happened yet, I'm going to show you or tell you how that's going to happen in a few moments. But can I say to us as a congregation, the power of our gathering here at Follow, the power for change as we move forward, the only power that we truly have is the gospel. It's gospel ministry. If you want real change in your life, it's going to come by the gospel. Gospel ministry. Okay, the gospel's powerful, you may say. Who is supposed to do the gospel work? The answer to that is found in our text it is the church. Can you think, or imagine, or ponder with me for a few moments how radical the New Testament church really was when it started here in the Roman Empire? Think about back to the Old Testament. Think about through the history of man. Think about any country that you have perhaps visited. Even the history of the church. How that we have perhaps gone off track for generations, for periods of time. But before Jesus came, every religion, every belief, all had temples. They all had priests, they all had some form of mediator between God up there and man down here. It's like all cultures across the world have understood God is up there and holy and big and we are small and sinful or at least separated. All cultures, Christian or or type of Christian or not, have all worshipped historically through temples with sacrifices and things like this. If you wanted to come to God, there was like this chasm that needed to be bridged. It was bridged by going to these sacred houses or these sacred places. You would often bring a sacrifice and give it to a priest or something like that. This wasn't just a Jewish truth or custom. It was for all people. In the Old Testament, there were priests. These were holy people. They had deep knowledge of spiritual things. They had an understanding of of spiritual things. In the Jewish culture, they had three main categories, if you like, when it came to the worship of of holy things. They, They had priests... They had prophets and they had kings. The prophet would speak the word of God to the people. The priest would represent people to God. He would do this with sacrifices. And the king would represent both God and the people he would pull a sword out, if you like, and hold the people accountable and say, live the way God says. That was the metal sound. <laughs> i wonder what that was. And then came New Testament Christianity. It appeared they didn't have a religion at all. They said, no more sacrifices no more temples no more priests how radical is that guys no more sacrifices no more prophets no more priests no more temples that 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 gap that chasm between sinful man and a holy God. It has been bridged. A way has been made. Jesus. I'm glad we've got seven excited people in this church. I'm hoping by the end of it, there can be 200 of us. No more gap. No more prophets. No more priests. No more temples. And and again, there's so much in there. Peter says, you are now living stones. That a temple is not brick upon brick, but it is Christian upon Christian. That's us joining together. You cannot live the full Christian life and experience apart from the person that's sitting next to you. It's interesting to go in the book of 1 Kings when the stones were placed or brought into the temple they were actually grinded or crafted down in the quarry. They were perfectly made in the quarry before they were dragged onto the temple site where they would be perfectly put in place. Guess what? All of us as believers are living stones getting prepared for there. So guess where here is? This is the quarry. We're all living in the quarry. This is where the sandpapering stuff happens. No wonder you're sitting next to a blockhead. (laughs) Are you with me? You say, oh, that person really irks me. In fact, you're starting to irk me, Gunton. (laughs) I'm that sandpaper that's getting you ready. You need me. I need you. You can't do it alone. It's just not biblical. See, we live in a world, and, and I've been burnt and hurt in churches, where we're where skeptical, we're where, where cynical, we're sus on this organization, this gathering. But can I tell you, it is God's plan that we would gather together as living stones. You, A stone is put in place and it should stay there. If we're going to impact this community for a long time, we can't just be moving about. If you're a stone put in place, there's people that you're holding up above you, and there's people down below holding you up. They're weaker than you, they're stronger than you, but we all work together. We all teach each other, we all show each other, we all help each other. I have five daughters. One is in Europe right now, one has just come back from the United States, one lives in the city and we've got our two little ones with us. You know the best time for us is when we get together as a family and we just enjoy a meal together, it is funny to watch my kids interact with each other. There are things that I see in my children that I cannot bring out on my own as dad but my wife can bring out or the other daughter brings out of the other daughter, it's because No one person gets the entirety of that person. We all bring special things out of each other only when we are together. And I might as well say this too. By God's grace, as we move forward and we look to build uh, on the precious block of land the Lord has provided to us, our plan is not to build a temple. We are the temple. Our our plan is simply to build uh, something that is a place of service to the community, for the community, a place of missional training, a place of encouragement, simply a building, a place that is there for practical purposes, not a temple. See, when I sit on my own, I can feel very Powerful. It was my wife who laughed. (laughs) But, But when I get with my wife, she reminds me. Come on, Ray. And in that same way, when we're on our own, we can think some things, but when we get together, it's powerful. It was Mr is it Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this, it was German concentration camps and things, and he said this, the word of God in my heart is nowhere near as powerful as the word of God in my brother's mouth. And he went on to say, and I'm, it's a powerful quote, you can look it up, he said, because I find within myself my heart to shake and to be faulty. But I find when it comes from my brother's mouth, it is powerful to me. Brothers and sisters, we are living stones. We need to gather together. Living stones. I'll move on. Because the... Other truths that, again, Peter brings out, not only living stones, but verse 9, he says, you are a royal priesthood that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here, in this one sentence that's pregnant with meaning, he says you're royal, you're kingly, you're a priesthood, you're priestly, and you are to declare you're a prophet. See, in our church, we have, in a way, defined a specialised type of ministry. Our pastors would be the prophets. They declare the word. The elders of our church would be, if you like, the, the kingly leaders. They, with authority, direct. And the deacons have the priestly role of ministry, which is to serve, to care. (coughs) Peter says all of us, every single believer, (coughs) is now kingly, priestly, and to be prophets. We are to, do all of us, if you're a believer, are to speak God's word. You are to be priestly, in other words, love, through love and service, give God's word. And kingly at times, when needed, with direction, give God's word. Every single believer. What would happen if we all did that? Amen, church? Holy lives open mouths. See, the early church was defined and it was different. It was characterised by a people of integrity, generosity, hospitality. They were a chaste people, they were a sympathetic people, and they were known for handling adversity. Would to God we would be known like that. A people of integrity. That we were known to be transparent and fair in our dealings. Would to God that we were known to be generous. That as employers with our employees. That employees in the way they serve employers. That we were known to be hospitable. To care for the poor, for the needy be known for our sympathy in other words not just ruthless in business ruthless in our conversation but be willing to forgive one another be willing to pursue reconciliation when there's a broken relationship to be known as a people of that would be chaste in other words there's no sex outside of marriage and there is Fidelity inside of marriage, that we've been known to handle adversity. In other words, to be able to handle suffering different than the world. Can I say with great joy that I believe follow thus far in our short journey unknown for these characteristics? To be generous, to be transparent, to be humble, to be serving and hospitable. Hallelujah. But what else can it look like for us before I close? For us it means this because we're all prophets, priests and kings. You come to church and you see a young person that's full of doubt, struggling with their faith perhaps and you sense that, you feel that in your heart that you get alongside that person and say for the next five weeks we're going to meet somewhere and we're going to tackle your questions one by one. I'm going to find a book for you, a sermon for you, I'm going to pray with you but we're going to begin to tackle those struggles that we're talking about over the next five or six weeks. Or you get with another young guy who's cocky who's full of himself, clearly worldly, knows that God's real but doesn't really understand. You as a mature believer get alongside that guy and you say, do you understand the difference between sanctification, justification, glorification, redemption and atonement and propitiation? And he said, did you you just speak in tongues? How about for the next five or six weeks we get together and I talk you, show you, provide some material, some studies about some of the great truths of the Bible. It's about somebody saying, you know what, I'm not connected. For a living stones like Ray said, Well, the fact is, I only come to church Sunday mornings and I miss that if I choose to. I don't really know anyone. I don't really connect here in the church. If I'm really a living stone, then I need to probably be part of an MCG group or similar, serve at the the Blessed Collective, get involved in the church in some way, shape or form rather than just showing up on a Sunday. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all sort of said, I want to participate and be involved not so that it can do something for me but so that I can contribute something to it. Prophet, priest and king. Or if you're a married couple and you know another couple's going through a hard time, you invite them over for a meal, you study Ephesians 5 together and you help them through your experiences of bringing God's word into a marriage. Prophet, priest, and king. Or you're at work. And a guy says, Fernick, next time I see that bloke, I'm going to fernick, I'm going to smash him. I'm going to smash him. And you get with that guy and you say, Mate, and he says, see, What were you doing on the weekend? I say, Mate, I went to church on Sunday. Church, do you realise there's some very powerful spiritual resources that are available to you for anger? Matter of fact, because I'm a Christian, I'm going to pray for you for the next five, six weeks. Is that okay? And I'm really hoping there's going to be a change in your heart. Prophet, priest, king. Church. Church. What would happen if 100% of all of us here today were doing that? Sorry, that's, that's, that's not a Toronto thing. I'm just laughing. I mean, you know. Could you imagine if we all saw you're a royal priesthood called to declare the praises of him that if all of us took the power of the gospel and we declared it through ministry, through direction, through loving and you know some of us do the priestly thing easy, we need to work on the prophet thing. Some of us do the speaking we're very good at getting on we need to do more of the serving thing wouldn't it be powerful if we all did this? Amen? Amen. So let's wrap it up. Where does this power come from? Jesus, the cornerstone. So I wrap it up by saying this. All of us have a cornerstone. Yes, I'm a bricklayer by trade. They used to call us a meat with a mouth. Very common, isn't it? Shove a roll in one end and just put a trowel in the hand and off they go. <clears throat> keeps you humble. The cornerstone is what the entire building, the plumb line, if you like, that an entire building, the foundation of a building would be set from. What is your cornerstone today? Luke 7, Matthew 6, speaks of a storm coming in everyone's life and we're either building on the rock cornerstone Jesus, or we're building on the sand. You know how you know what you're building on? When trouble comes into your life, who do you hold on to? Do you feel like your life is going down? That may be because you're, the foundation of your life is your health, or it's your money, or it's your house, or it's your children. Guess what? If your cornerstone is Jesus Christ, Though hard times and difficult times come, you will be unshakable because the cornerstone is strong. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I encourage all of us, make Jesus your cornerstone. And here's the key word. It says, precious cornerstone. I just want to ask you this. After all these years, have you lost the wonder of the gospel? Come on. Come on, church. Have you lost the wonder? You didn't go looking for God, that he came looking for you when you were a wretch and you were a sinner, doing your own thing, perverse in your thoughts, in your ways. What is life all about? Is there any reason to live? Is there any real purpose in life? And God breaks into your heart and says... Yes, there is a purpose. Yes, there is a reason. The king of kings loved you enough that he was willing to die for you and your sin was bad enough that he had to die for it. Can the wonder of that precious message grip all of our hearts again where he becomes our cornerstone? I hope so. Because if it does, it will power us for the gospel to live to be priests, prophets and kings. Our community, Casey, Cardinia, Greater Dandenong and beyond, it is waiting for the church, the living stones, to be the people that God has empowered us to be.